Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Square Peg Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence. Uh, my guest today studied mechanical and aerospace engineering at New Mexico State University, and he works in that field locally. Uh, he's a husband and a father who was baptized in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as a teenager and served as a missionary just south of the United States in nearby Mexico. Martin Andazola, welcome to the Square Peg Podcast. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad we got this going. Um, you know, we got this, we got it out of the way here, um, how you pronounce your name. Um, now, you're, of course, you're off work today, and you've got an interesting work schedule. Uh, I know that you work in a field that, you know, for for purposes that are obvious to people here in Las Cruces, you stay kind of vague. Uh, what kind of schedule do you have that allows you to have today off? Uh, pretty much uh, work five days on or days off. Uh, it's an alternation of those, and so um, I'll end up working weekends sometimes. Other times I'll have an entire weekend that's through Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday. And so um, for this week example, I'm off today, tomorrow, and then I go back into work on Wednesday, and my last day will be Sunday. Now, much. does that give you an opportunity to spend time? Does your wife work outside the home? Uh, sometimes. Uh, she used to be a full-time employee at uh, NMSU. She worked in the plant pathology lab there. And she had since quit, but she still had a lot of hours to make up. So every once in a while when I'm off, she will go there and work about two or three hours just to make up those hours. And, and children? You guys have children? Yep, one baby girl. One baby girl. So that gives you an opportunity to, to stay home. Now, did you get an opportunity to make use of uh, family the FMLA Family Medical Leave Act? Uh, no, I don't really. We didn't really have need of it. Well, I didn't, <clears throat> but she did. She took FMLA when she was still, she was still working full-time when our baby was born. So she had used FMLA to take a couple weeks off. I, um, you know, we, I have two daughters, a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, and my wife and I were very fortunate enough to be able to adopt both of them. Uh, we didn't bring awesome. them home until each of them was five weeks old. And so we don't know from having newborn newborns. But my wife took her full 12 weeks off with each, and then I took eight weeks after that. And the way, reason we did it that way is so that we could delay the amount of time we had to, until we could put them in, had to put them in daycare. And I, I think quite often that um, if there's ever a time that I could go back to and relive in my life, it's, it's being home with my babies. Everybody loves to hold a baby. I've held babies since then, but what I've realized is it's not the same as being your own baby yep. and getting that time to stay home and bond with them. Now, do you, guys have, do you guys have a tradition of doing today's Monday? Is this family home evening? You know, we really need to get working on that. We usually don't, um, but we know that we should try to be better on that. It is a good experience just being able to dedicate that time together as family. So it, It's hard for everybody, especially when, you know, I work two jobs and I do this. My wife works two jobs. She works for the public schools and she teaches in the graduate school at the university. Our kids are involved in things. One of the things my wife always complains about, we don't ever sit down together and have a meal. Um, so I think that's something that everybody deals with. But, um, you know, moving on, uh, you're from Moriarty, and I've never been to Moriarty, but I know it's... Small truck stop town. Small truck stop town. Off I-40? Yep. Okay. Right so how far east of Albuquerque? It's about uh, 40, 35 miles east of Albuquerque. So and, it's not too far out. And the size of the town, demographics? Uh, so it's truck stop town. Uh, there's lots of ranchers, lots of farmers. Um, I wouldn't know exactly how much, how many people there are there, the population, but it's they call it a city, but it's basically a town. It's not that big. It, but it's incorporated with the city government, mayor, police department? Yeah, you have all that. Okay. And and how long has your family been in Moriarty? Uh, since the late 80s, I want to say. Um, yeah, my parents had come to the United States back in 86, 87, I want to say. Okay. And so um, my dad had 
landed a job with a rancher out just north of Moyarty. And so we spent the early part of our childhood, me and my brother and sister, in that ranch. And then that was a, up to about 2001, 2000. Oh, I want to say 2005 was when we had to leave. It was a horse racing ranch. So uh, around that time, there was a recession with the horses, and we had to give up the business pretty much. And so we moved about 10 miles south of Moyarty after that. And since then, that's where I've lived um, until I came down here to Las Cruces. Now, um, you say your parents moved there. Are you, where are your parents from? They're from Chihuahua, Mexico. Okay. So, I, now, I didn't know that, of course. And one of the next things I really wanted to talk about was your family background. Um, you know, there are certain, and I'll get into this a little bit more later, it wasn't until I moved here to New Mexico 25 years ago that I realized how um, prevalent or how many Protestant Christians there were in Latin America. You always associate Latin America with the Roman Catholic Church. And I know that for certain certain faiths, certain spiritual traditions, um, I, I, grew, I grew up in a Jewish home, which is culture is a big part of it. Um, it's not just of the, the faith, it's a religion, or it's a, it's a culture too. I know that the Roman Catholic Church in places in Italy, of course, is, is a big part of the culture, aside from being a faith. Uh, Ireland as well, and all throughout Latin America. So growing up um, in a family that's not just Mexican-American, but child of immigrants, Mexican immigrants, um, what, was, what was it like growing up as a Catholic uh, in, in, in a home with Mexican-American parents? Uh, everything from, you know, what your familiarity was and how often you guys went to church, how often you read the Bible. Did you go to, to, to some sort of Sunday school or um, catechism or anything? And, and uh, you want to just talk on that? Yeah, it's definitely a period in my life that I was grateful for. Um, because my parents were tight on that tradition as well, uh, they made sure that each of their children were baptized and had their first communion. Um, and then for the early parts of our lives, uh, we would attend catechism. And so I, I definitely appreciated all the things that my parents did to instill that faith in us, uh, that belief in God. Um, it was a very important part as well as um, in my preparation of becoming who I am today. Uh, the first realization that there is a God, basically. There was a time where I was about three or four years old where I was terrified of the fact of death, um, the fact that our lives would end and that there would be no more of us after that point. And so it, it put me in a, surprisingly in a point of depression. I, I don't know how easy it is for a, a kid of three or four years old to have that kind of emotion, but that's what I felt at that time. But my parents made sure to teach me that there was a God, there was a life after death kind of thing. And that brought me a lot of peace, and that helped me solidify my belief that there was a God. Like, I wanted to believe. I needed to believe that, because otherwise it was just a very difficult thing to bear, um, having that fear of death, pretty much. Did you guys go to Mass weekly? Uh, I want to say up until I was about eight years old. I feel like my parents, they just wanted to make sure that we had the, the checklist done. As soon as we hit the my eight years of age to hit my uh, first communion, I think that's kind of when we started um, moving away. Uh, we didn't really go to the church as often. And then I remember occasionally asking my parents, like, why don't we not go back? And they'd never give me, like, a straightforward answer as to why. Um, my guess is probably there's some people there that they didn't uh, quite see eye to eye with, I guess. And since then, I kind of just drifted away. I knew there was a God, but at the same time, we just didn't stay active in any form of religion. Now, did you do, I mean, the whole thing, and you mentioned First Communion, did you receive communion on a regular basis? Did you go to confession, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I remember my mom taking me to confession a few times, and at that age, like, you don't really understand what exactly a confession means, but now I definitely do, and I, I think it's pretty neat that they had that. 
Um, and so I remember doing that. I remember taking communion on Sundays. Um, I do remember now that the one thing that we'd always do was on Christmas Eve, we would go to the Midnight Mass. And so we would attend that, and it was a part of our tradition that we'd come home at midnight, 1 a.m., and open our presents. That's a very Mexican thing, right? <laughs> Opening presents on Christmas Eve. That's that's what I understand. Now, um, we could we could I could talk for hours on this, but it's hard for me to imagine that somebody at eight years old, even if you've had regular re- religious instruction, could really have a very full and thorough understanding of the Bible, and whether it's a Judeo Christian Bible or the the Book of Mormon or the the Quran or, or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel like if you if you can remember and maybe it's hard to put yourself back uh, that many years to that age do you feel like at least at that time that and i'll ask this in two parts i'll ask the first part now and the another part in a few minutes at that point do you feel like you had a good thorough understanding of what your faith was i don't think i would say yes because um after we stopped going to church i just basically drifted off and went on my own way and I didn't really have a solid understanding of what was expected of me being a Christian. Um, I just understood that there was a God and that you need to be a good boy, basically. But I pretty much did not follow that. It was pretty much, a, it sounds to me like a very age-appropriate understanding. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to touch a little bit more on the cultural aspect of this, was um, I know that Catholicism, like Judaism, is much, very much about ritual. Um, and I know that in Catholicism, statues and, and, and candles and things like that are very important. Was that a big part of your house? Are, are there? Do you have a Virgin Mary in the house and crucifixes over your bed? And oh yeah, there's there's definitely plenty of those in my parents' house still. Uh, they have the painting of the Pope with the uh, Virgin Mary. Um, lots of those candles, the veleras. Um, trying to remember, yeah, just a lot of decorations that were um, prominent to their faith. And would you say that most of your? Did you guys have cousins like oh, yeah. other family in town? In Moriarty? Um, not locally. Um, most of our family was in Mexico or in another state. Um, neighbors, friends. What was your uh, well, living in Moriarty? I, I can probably, I could probably tell you the answer to that. I probably know the answer to this. But in a small New Mexico town like that, how much exposure did you have to people of other faiths? Did you have friends who were Jewish and Muslim or Hindu or? No, for the most part of my childhood, um, it was just Catholic. Um, there was a small community of people from Chihuahua that my, my family would get together with. There would be the quinceañeras, the baptisms, the, the weddings. And so we'd attend to a lot of those parties. Um, have lots of memories of coming home at like 4 in the, after, four in the morning. Um, I'd be begging my parents, hey, could, can we go home now? And my mom would say, go ask your dad. And then I'd go ask my dad. And he said, go ask your mom. So we'd be there for a long time. Uh, and beyond that, I didn't really know of anyone else that was of a different faith until uh about middle school um one of my friends my closest friends uh he was the one that had introduced me to the church of jesus christ latter-day saints and it was just one day he randomly brings a book of mormon to school and he starts reading it and i ask him hey what's that and he explained to me briefly what it was and to me it was just completely foreign i had no idea i never knew about that religion beforehand um, and I've known him since kindergarten, and we're in middle school at this point. I didn't know he was part of that faith until that, that day. That's interesting. And so yeah. you, um, well, I guess in a town like that, do they have, uh, is there a local ward there in Moriarty? Uh, yeah, so just south of Moriarty is a small, smaller town called Estancia. And just about a little bit north of that town is, uh, there's a building there, and that's where 
I first started attending the church. Now, so, of course, I understand this. You and I have talked before, mm-hmm. uh, but for people who might be listening to this who aren't familiar, what is a ward in your church? Uh, a ward is just another word for a congregation. Okay. Um, so you can have multiple wards within a region or multiple congregations. And um, there's also, if they don't have as many people, uh, they also have what are called branches, which is just a smaller congregation. And and like the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is very, what's the word I'm looking at? I don't want to say hierarchical, but very structured, very organized by ge- geography, and there's a very clear organizational structure, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, w- tell me about your first, I mean, what were your first thoughts uh, when you started talking to your friend who had brought the Book of Mormon to school? Well, uh, like I had said, like I had no idea about the religion beforehand, so I didn't, I didn't know what to think or what to say. I, I just, I think my response to him was like, oh, that's pretty neat. And um, it wasn't until, I want to say a couple of months later, that uh, I had spent the night at his house with his family. And it, it had been a while, like I had moved schools, so we didn't see much of each other between uh, third grade and, and seventh grade. And so it was great to rekindle our friendship um, over those years. And so I spent the night on a Saturday, and uh, I wonder if it was part of their plan to do this because I woke up on Sunday morning, and they're all getting ready. They're wearing the shirts and ties. And I think, hey, what the heck is going on here? And so I asked them, and they invited me, hey, do you want to join us at church today? And um, in those few seconds, I thought, you know, I feel like there's something I need to do about my life. There's been a lot of things that had been going through my mind up to that point that have been telling me, like, you need to find a way to get back closer to God. And so I thought, maybe this is a good opportunity for me to start doing that. And so I agreed, and they had taken me to church. And that first day that I had gone was one of the most impactful experiences I've had that uh, started that entire process for me. What was it about that experience that was so impactful? Uh, first of all, um, walking into the, the building, um, people that I've never met before and people I did not know, and they had this excited and genuine look on their faces of being there. And when they would approach me and talk to me, like I could feel that they genuinely were happy to see me there, even though they never had met me before. And so there was just a, a light that was emanating from them that, that really called to my attention. And after that, when the service started, um, I remember one of the youth speakers, so usually in the structure for like the Sunday meetings, they have the sacrament, which is the equivalent of the the Eucharist in the Catholic Church. They, they pass out the representation of the body and blood of Christ. And then after that, they have speakers, usually a youth speaker and then two adult speakers. And the youth speaker had started talking about language, um, it, more specifically, like not to use harsh language, not to use profanity of any kind. And... When I first heard him about that, it really struck me because I had a very foul mouth at the time. And because of what he was saying, I had committed to myself, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to use profanity anymore. And I don't know what it was that he said. It just it really struck me that I should really make these, approve, these improvements in my life. So at that point, I had decided I'm just going to stop using profanity. You know... Um I want to go back. You were talking about, it's hard for me to believe that they didn't know. I mean, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to accuse anybody of doing anything right or wrong or purposeful, but it's kind of hard for me to believe that they didn't know that Sunday morning was going to come and they were going to be, they were going to be getting dressed for church. Um, what are, are there rules for, uh, for lack of a better term? I know that Protestants and, and evangelicals call it witnessing. 
Um, what are the rules about sharing the word, sharing the Book of Mormon, and inviting to to minors? Uh, so definitely requires parent um, consent. There's a lot of things that, of course, that you have to follow to make sure that um, anyone under the age of 18 is able to receive that consent from their parents. And so, so did you call your parents that morning and say, "By the way, we're going to church"? Or I, I didn't. I really didn't think that they would care about it. Um, uh, it ended up being more of a of an important thing when um, I decided to be baptized in the church. Um, right. There was about a two year period where my parents wouldn't give me permission, and so of course the church had to respect that, and uh, we didn't really move forward at that point until my parents. Well, during that time, did you continue? Did you continue going to services and, and yes. reading the book? And um, you know, I don't want to. You know, like we discussed before, this interview is about your experience and finding your faith and sharing it with others, and not so much about your church or their liturgy. But is there was there something about the Book of Mormon that really caught you? that really kind of grabbed you. You, you, t you talked about walking into a place, uh, a building where people were very happy to be there and there was a light emanating from them that you felt that energy and it felt very welcoming. But the book itself, was there anything that in particular that you found? Yes. Um, so I guess just to give a brief explanation of what the Book of Mormon is, it's just a set of scripture written by a group of people that lived here in the Americas around the same time period as the what was written in the Bible. And so uh, they're similar in... And structure uh, they have the same purpose to uh, teach about God and Jesus Christ and they're just a record of these two different like so the Book of Mormon is a record of these people that write their accounts and their dealings with God and so so it's very similar to the Bible it's it's a separate record completely um, but they teach about the same thing am I and, am I in the right track um, was it a lost tribe uh, so you can say that it was um, the scattering of Israel is what it's called um, can, the diaspora uh, I wouldn't know what that word would mean, but um, basically we would just refer to anyone that has like spread out to any part of the world would be part of that scattering of Israel. And um, We read a lot about it in, in the Bible, about the gathering of Israel, people learning more about Christianity and things like that. But um, going back to the Book of Mormon, I just remember reading certain verses that would, that would strike out at me, um, just things that were very meaningful. It felt like God himself was talking to me through the Book of Mormon. Um, and so I've had lots of similar experiences with the Bible as well. And uh, the thing that impacted me about the Book of Mormon was that, that just by reading a single verse, I've made commitments. You know what? I'm going to be a better person. There's just those verses that teach you something very profound that, um, and honestly, I could say that there's a power in that book. Um, when you read it, you want to become a better person. You want to draw closer to Jesus Christ. Um, and so... There have been a lot of experiences that I've had where I've just come across one verse or multiple verses um, that I learned important lessons that helped me become the man that I am today. Now, it's been not quite 15 years uh, since you were first introduced uh, to, to the faith and um, not quite 10 years since you were baptized. You said that for the first two years, your parents you know, wouldn't give you, after you made the decision you wanted to, your parents wouldn't give you permission to get baptized and you had to wait until you were 18. Correct. Um, Tell me about what that was like, some of the discussions maybe that you had with your parents then, and what, what the next, what the last 10 years have been like since you have become a member of the church. Yeah, absolutely. And their reaction to that. Yeah, so um, when I had first explained to them that I was going to church with my friend, um, his name is Troy. Um, I'd go to church every Sunday with Troy and his family, uh, and I had told my parents, and they were completely fine with it. They said, anything that helps you stay close to God. Now, did they know Troy was LDS? Uh, they did not until you that. just said church. Yeah. Okay. And so I'd explained to them that yeah, I go to church with them, and they were completely good with that. 
but it was up until the point where I asked him, hey, so um, the missionaries that are teaching me right now, they are extending the invitation to me to uh, be baptized in the church. And that's where my parents drew the line. Um, being Catholic, it's very traditional. So they want to keep that family tradition. It's not just part of the religion. Like you said, it's it's more of the culture and the tradition. Um, and they feel like any deviation from that would be um, more offensive to like their ancestors and the and the importance of that culture in their family. So they were afraid of that deviation. Um, and you could uh, basically be talking about Jews, but go ahead. Yeah. We're the, we're the same way. Right, right. So, yeah, they weren't happy that their, their son would be uh, attending a different church after, like, hundreds and years of generations and their family had gone to the Catholic Church. And so they still said, you, you're, you're still welcome to go and participate, but uh, no baptism. And so um, it was... It was difficult. Um, I had loved going to the church, and uh, I had watched what members of the church do to participate in it, um, particularly the youth. Um, they're the ones, um, for the young men, they get the opportunity to receive the priesthood, which is the authority of God to act in his name. And part of the responsibilities as a youth to hold the priesthood is that they got to prepare and administer the sacrament. And uh, watching my friends do that um, every Sunday was a special thing I I knew that eventually I wanted to be part of that and also with the baptism came a lot of the promised blessings that come from baptism and I felt like I needed to make a commitment myself um, of course that um, with the Catholic Church you are baptized at uh, almost a couple a month or two after birth so you don't really have that uh, opportunity to make it of your own choice and so when I had been given that opportunity to be baptized. I knew that this was my opportunity to, to do it as my own, per, my own personal choice. You know, it's funny you mention that because I've, I've, I've had this discussion. Again, this is something we could talk for hours on, but mm -hmm. I, I definitely have some, some very strong feelings on the difference between really accepting um, all that goes on with the religion as a small child versus as an adult. And I have some opinions on whether adults would be as accepting of whatever the faith is had they not been for lack of a better term primed as kids and introduced to it a little bit and had the seed planted but um you make some good points now did you ever um when you were finding that you found something in in the book of mormon that really spoke to you did you ever consult catholic clergy about those feelings and try to do like a comparison and ask them what they felt what they thought about this what the response was did you ever have an opportunity to do that you know, I did not. Um, my mom, I believe, she had tried to um, help me, like give me guidance on some of those things of what the Catholic Church believed, and so I had a I had a general understanding of the beliefs in the Catholic Church, but um, I guess I was so solidified in knowing that I was in the right place that I didn't uh, necessarily need to uh, look elsewhere or investigate more about it because. Um, I guess another part of the background, before I was introduced to the church, um, there had been constant experiences that I've had where I'd be lying at, in my bed at night and thinking, man, I really need to do something different about my life. I just had this sense of urgency that I needed to be um, a, more, a more righteous person because I understood that, yes, there is life after death, but the way you choose to live will determine how you live after. Um, and so that really struck me as well. And so um, it was about a week before um, my friend uh, Troy had invited me to church. 
that I'd committed to read the Bible cover to cover to find my answer of like what I need to do specifically to eventually make that final goal. And so when I was invited to church and I had that experience, I knew within myself that that was an answer to my question. This was where I needed to be um, in order to achieve that. Well, at, at some point, obviously, you, you, you turn 18. Yeah. Um, what, what month is your birthday? Uh, September. Okay, so you, you turn, and had you already, were you, because I know in New Mexico, the, the cutoff for starting school is August 1st slash, or August 31st slash September 1, were you, did you turn 18 at the beginning of your senior year in high school? Yes. Okay, so you were still in high school. Now, eventually, you came down here uh, to go to New Mexico State. Just talk a little bit about what you studied and why you found your, those majors to be interesting and what your experience was uh, as a member of the church uh, here at NMSU. Okay, yeah. So um, the church has been a very helpful part of that, too, moving down here to Las Cruces. Um, I didn't find out where I was going to live when I moved down here until two days before, um, and that was because a friend was very nice enough to offer uh, to let me stay with him for the first semester and uh, help pay the rent pretty much and so I had a lot of support from the people here in Las Cruces there's a there's a specific congregation meant for university students down here so there's a there's a really good support group with that and uh, I was given the opportunity to to do a lot of leadership there in that congregation as well and so um I definitely attribute all the successes that I have had at NMSU um, to God, um, knowing that I've been able to turn to Him. If I didn't know how to solve a math problem, or if I was very worried about this upcoming exam, I always tried to involve Him in all the um, important things that, the things that were important to me, because I knew that if they were important to me, they were important to Him. And so, uh, it was very helpful to have that faith, that that base of of knowledge, that got me through NMSU. Um, and so, and these aren't these are not easy majors. I mean, I kind of joke around. I majored in history, and I think who can't major in history? If you can read a book and write a sentence, you can major in history. Now, now, mechanical engineering was your undergrad, and aerospace. Okay, so you I couldn't remember yeah. whether one was bachelor's, or other was was graduate, or so you did both at the same time. Now, I did you come major. in with AP credits? I did. Uh, it did help a little bit. And were then, you able to do? Were you able to get both of those degrees in four years? Uh, four and a half. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I couldn't use the excuse uh, that it's not rocket science because it was. <laughs> now, did you um, did you find it difficult, or, or was it one of those things where it, it was what you were interested in, so you were willing to put forth the? Uh, the best way I could explain it, my brother would always tell me tell me about because he he was also mechanical engineering at one point, and he told me it's not hard, it's just time consuming, and so that's that's how I would best explain it. It's if you uh, dedicate the time to learn it. Um, then it's not that hard. You just remember the methods, the equations, and all that. And it takes a lot of time, of course. To I, you know, I can, I can identify with that to an extent. You know, we talked about what I do for a living, and, and I often say to people, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to investigate a homicide. You just have to know how to do it and be willing to put forth the effort. Right. Um, so I, I, th- I can see that. Now, you um, first generation in your family to attend college, or no? Uh, yes, part of it. Uh, my sister started that, and then my brother was next, and then one cousin in Ohio, and then I was the fourth one. But your, but your parents didn't go? Yeah, they, um, I think my dad had a third grade education, and my mom made it up to middle school. Before. Wow. So they, I, I would, pretty safe to say they're pretty proud of you guys. I would say so. I hope so. You hope so. Um, now, you went on a mission, and this is kind of a big part of what I wanted to talk to you about. Did you go during college? Did you take a break from college, or did you finish school and then? Uh, so it, 
my goal was to do it right out of high school. That's usually when uh, most missionaries uh, choose to go serve. And that uh, that was chaotic for my parents. Um, they found it very difficult to accept the fact that I was going to sacrifice those first two years, not going to school, but rather serving a mission. And they were very worried that um, that I was going to lose my scholarships if I chose to go on my mission. So there was a lot of opposition there in my decision as well. So there's first the, the baptism and then the opposition with the mission. So you went on the mission before you started college? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Now, uh, real quick, when you talk about scholarships, was that the, given your age, I'm trying to figure, was that the lottery scholarship or did you have other? It was a lottery scholarship and uh, I don't remember the name of the other one, but it was basically a full ride scholarship. Um, so it was definitely a, a miracle. And the other miracle behind that was that um, NMSU, I believe, was the only university at the time that would offer deferment for the scholarships. So if I was to go serve my mission, I had to prove to my parents that I could keep those scholarships that I earned for NMSU. And um, that was a whole little challenge in itself. And so I was finally able to get the approval for um, getting my scholarship deferred until I came back from my mission. And at that point, that's when my parents um, finally consented that I could serve. Now, my understanding is there are nine missionary training centers? Probably. Okay. <laughs> I, I haven't looked at the exact number, but yeah, there's there's quite a few around the world. Now, you uh, grew up speaking Spanish in the home or hearing, at least hearing it? At least hearing it. Uh, it was difficult for me to speak it until I served my mission. And see, I'm the other way around. Um, <laughs> did you, now how do you, how do you get, how does the church decide where they're going to send you? Uh, so it goes straight to the the very top of the leadership. Um, so the leadership structure of the church, um, from the top, there's a person that we uh, refer to as a prophet, and below him are 12 apostles, and below that are um, people that are pretty much given the same similar assignments to the prophet and the apostles. Um, they're, they're called 70s, so all this has reference to the structure of the Church of Jesus Christ in, in the New Testament. And so uh, these people are the ones that decide where you get to go on your mission. Um, your application goes through their system, and they they dedicate a certain time of the day where they, um, start, I don't remember exactly how many, but a few apostles and some of the 70s um, go into a room and they look at each individual application and say, under inspiration, where these people need to go. And so um, I had a feeling that I was going to be sent to southern Mexico, and sure enough, I was sent to southern Mexico. Now, you, how long did you spend in the training center? Uh, two weeks. That's it? Yeah. Um, Two weeks was enough to get your spoken Spanish up, up uh, to par? It up had to speed, if you will? Me. So they give you a call about a month before to assess how advanced you are in language because I did put in my application that I was able to uh, understand Spanish and speak very little of it. And they said, hey, explain this doctrinal principle in Spanish. And I did it in the best uh, Spanish that I could. It was quite awful but at the end of it they said well we think you're you're eligible for the advanced program so um missionaries that get sent to um missions of their that use their native language they only spend two weeks in the mtc the missionary training center and i would imagine that the time you spend there also has a lot to do with um learning the rules of what's expected of you yeah Um, there's a lot of rules that um that are applied to missionaries just to keep them safe and um make sure they're out of harm's way things like that well that's you know that's something that um, i wanted to get to uh, are there any places i could probably guess a few of them in the world where the church does not send missionaries uh yeah currently uh, the middle east um 
there are no missionaries there. Uh, I don't remember the particular countries. I know there might be a couple of them that are there. Um, the most recent one, I believe, um, was Vietnam. That was one of the exciting ones, hearing that missionaries would be able to be sent to Vietnam. Um, no missionaries in Cuba. And then... Probably Saudi Arabia, I'm imagining. Oh, yeah, definitely Saudi Iran. Arabia, Iran. Um, and then in China, there are some restrictions because of it being a communist country. Um, preaching is only is not allowed. So uh, there are members of the church in China, but they just aren't able to openly uh, preach about it. So missionaries are not allowed in China. Now, you mentioned um, learning basically how to keep yourself safe. Um, th my next question that is not necessarily about limited to your physical safety, but just in general, have you had any really extraordinary experiences with people that you've you've uh, tried to spread the word to? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so before I had served my mission, I had made, I had a, assisted the missionaries locally, um, joining them on their lessons, um, visiting the people that they were teaching. And uh, so I'm, I'm explaining this because it has a lot to do with my experiences on the mission. Um, there was an, a particular experience where I was, I was out with one missionary and we were teaching a, a person. He was an astrologist. Um, and so he came right out the gate um, trying to talk against Christianity and our beliefs. And I just stayed quiet because I knew the missionary would be able to handle it, but it was getting a little heated. And um, all of a sudden, a, a thought came to my mind. And I know, like, in our belief, um, the Holy Ghost is a very has a very key role in the things that we do and the things that we decide on because he can communicate with us spiritually and that's through thought, thoughts and promptings mostly and so I had one of those promptings at that point maybe talk about this and it was more about um, the the timeline of our life here on earth like where did we come from why are we here and where are we going after we die is what that that explains and so I started explaining it to this person and while I was talking you could see there was a light that was forming in his eye and and you could see that he was understanding it. And at the end of it, he he was actually very excited about it and had said, wow, I never really thought about it that way. And that makes a lot of sense. And I like that. And there's just a very strong spiritual feeling at, during that lesson. And so after that, I had come to the realization, well, I know that there are people somewhere in the world, wherever I get sent to serve my mission, that need my particular influence. Um, so it, we believe it's the spirit that helps people uh, make the decision we just there to facilitate that that conversion process we don't convert people the spirit does would, what would you say um in general now where were you in mexico uh puebla which so is in what in what state oh uh, well that's the state of puebla okay and it's about two hours east of mexico city okay so so pretty far down there pretty far south um what was the, in, if you could give a general feeling on the familiarity of, uh, what level of familiarity did the people there who you interacted with have with your church before meeting you? Uh, so in Mexico, the church is very strong and active. Um, for example, in El Paso, uh, there are three buildings and I think four congregations. But across the border to Juarez, there's about 13 buildings and they have uh, 13 times three congregations, I want to say. There's okay, a, there's a lot of uh, church presence outside of the United States. Now, what was the, if you had to say what was the breakdown? We talked a little bit about how I didn't know. Uh, you know, I grew up in Northern Virginia, about thirteen. I, I measured it actually, like thirteen point two miles from the White House. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of friends who were from Latin America, um, but not 
anybody that I can think of who was Mexican-American. And my general impression was, again, that the, the Roman Catholic Church was pretty much the, the, all there was. And I moved to New Mexico 25 years ago, and I found that um, there are a lot of Protestants, and there's a lot of Protestant missions uh, in Latin America. Um, what would you say the breakdown was of the people you interacted with, Catholic versus Protestant? Uh, so uh, the most of them, the majority of them were Catholic, of course, because, um, yeah, 98%, I think, is the statistic of Mexico um, claims to be Catholic. But there are a lot of Protestant religions. Um, there's the, the born-again churches. There's Jehovah's Witnesses. There's another religion called the Luz del Mundo. Uh, I don't know too much about it, but it's another Christian denomination. Light of the world? Light of the world, yeah. And then, um, of course, our church. There's a very prominent presence of all those uh, did you find uh, when you were on your mission that there was a particular demographic, uh, be it an age group or, or a socioeconomic level or status, that you felt you connected with better or m- might have been more receptive or, or, or willing to learn or hear what you had to say? Yeah, definitely. Um, like people of the lower class demographic, um, people that lived in one home and one room homes, uh, they didn't have much. Um, they were the most humble, the most willing to listen. And I was always fascinated by them because um, they had a very small fraction of what I had growing up. And I knew that for myself that it'd be very difficult for me to find happiness in that kind of situation. But they are perhaps the happiest people I've ever met. Did you find that they seemed to be more receptive to your message or more, more eager to, to receive it? Definitely very receptive. Um, and, of course, the, there's also the other side of people that were very very traditional Catholic and they didn't want anything to do with us so there's also a lot of that opposition of people that would reject us or um, I have luckily I didn't have any negative experiences where people get physical um, that can happen sometimes or or it can even get worse than that but luckily for me it was just uh, people that would try to contend with us or try to um, prove us wrong those kinds of things and people that would just straightforward reject us and slam the door on their face did, did you ever have opportunity, be it on your mission or even since then, uh, to have interactions with um, missionaries from other faiths, like Jehovah's Witnesses, are the only ones who come to mind? Um, and I have to, you know, I have to mention to you, I, I have, you know, people listening. I'm, I'm holding my thumb and forefinger very close together. I generally have about that much patience for proselytizers. I will tell you, I don't know why missionaries from your church are just so darn nice. I have a hard time having ill feelings towards them. But um, and to be honest with you, the Jehovah's Witnesses who've knocked on my door have always been very pleasant. But you, mission or even post mission, have you had interactions? Have you had the opportunity to talk to missionaries from other other faiths? Yeah, I do remember one particular experience. Um, my companion and I we knocked on the on a door, and um, we knew the people of all things. It was, it was pretty funny, and they were uh, Jehovah's Witness missionaries, and we had a pretty a pretty constructive uh, conversation, and so. I think that is the model that all religions should follow, is that having that ability to respect each other's beliefs, even though they might be different, and just finding the common ground. Um, there's nothing gained from Bible bashing, from arguing and trying to prove each other wrong. There's, there's no benefit from that at all. So that's always been our, our primary goal, is to make sure that we work with what people already believe and work and build on that. And so it was a pretty nice conversation. I remember that. It would seem to me that if somebody is um, well-versed enough in their, in their liturgy to be a missionary, that having those types of discussions, um, as, spirit, as spirited as they may be, seems to me that you could 
pretty safe bet that you both walk away feeling even stronger in your feeling faith. uplifted. That's the end goal. You know, um, now have you had um, anybody try to bring you back into the Catholic Church? I do remember one person. Uh, I I don't remember what was involved in the conversation, but I had I had explained at one point that I used to be Catholic, and um, basically she was telling me to, well, basically saying once a Catholic, always a Catholic. You can't go back after or after you made the commitment. There's there's no going back from it, even if you join another church, and so. Uh, she was explaining that to me, and I understood her her end of it, and that was probably the only experience I've had with that. Now, along those same lines, it's been you know almost ten years since you were baptized. What's your relationship like with your parents now, and how do holidays go? How does Christmas go? How does Easter? Oh, it's honestly um, the mission made a huge impact on them as well. My mom started investigating the church a little bit, and so did my dad. The missionaries would consistently visit my parents um, to. Because my mom was very curious as to why I was willing to spend two years of my life in a different country um, expressing and sharing my beliefs. And so um, neither of them have joined the church, but they do have a, a very sound respect for the church, um, knowing who we are, what we believe. Um, and so they've been very supportive ever since of my beliefs. My mom always comes up to me um, or she'll, me- she'll message me or she'll call me and ask, hey, so why... Why is it that you guys do this in the church or those kinds of questions? I'm glad you were able to have that to- that sort of relationship with your family and that they've, you know, you guys are obviously still family. I remember, you know, my first introduction to the church was there was a family when I was about five years old who lived across the street from us. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't think they lived there for more than a year and a half. But uh, the, the father and my father both worked for the federal government. They carpooled to work together. Right. And then they, I mean, I'm talking like 1981 or 1982, they moved to Layton, Utah and our families actually have kept in touch 40 years later um, to some degree. Um, oddly enough, not long after that, my dad had another friend who lived right by our neighborhood, uh, and that family were members of the church, and they carpooled to school together. And I remember, I want to say probably in the mid-'80s, uh, their eldest daughter got married, and we went to the wedding in their church, and the young man that she married had been raised Catholic and uh, obviously got baptized in the church to, to marry her and, and become part of the church, and his family didn't come to the wedding. Nobody uh-huh. from his side of the family. I don't. I don't know about friends, but I know that his family it was. It was clear that his family was not there, and they did not approve. Um, I don't know right. whatever happened with that. Of course, that's you know we're talking almost forty years ago. But um, you know, moving on. I I have I've heard you refer to yourself this way, so maybe I know the answer to this. Are you a Christian, and have you had people who are not who are Christians but not members of your church question that? Uh, so yes, we are Christian. Um, the name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he is at the head of our church. Um, and, yeah, there have been a lot of instances, um, not directly towards me, but what I've seen in the world is that a lot of people uh, claim that we don't believe full, fully in Christianity or that we're not Christian. Um, and that's primarily because of the differences that there are in our beliefs. Um, so I would like to express that, yes, that is a very central part of our, our belief that Jesus Christ is indeed our Savior. You know, it is interesting because somebody who comes from a background like mine, I mentioned I was raised in a Jewish family. You know, when, you, when you're raised in uh, any, basically anything other than Christian in the United States, you're, very, you're othered. And the way I've always seen it is, and maybe I'm making it being too simple, maybe I'm, I'm simplifying it too much, but basically any faith that believes that Jesus Christ is the, is the Messiah must be Christian, even, even Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, that could be a whole other discussion. I, you know, I don't have time for that. And I really know 
uh, even less about their faith. But I just remember a couple years ago, um, a good friend of mine who I've known for over 20 years and has served as a missionary, um, a Protestant Christian missionary, um, his, and had even went door to door many years ago. Uh, I don't know how, but the subject of, of the Book of Mormon came up. Uh, and there was a little bit of an eye roll on his behalf. Um, and I just, I remember him basically not not thinking you guys are Christians. Um, neither here nor there at this point. Um, you know who you are. Um, I, we're coming to the end of things. Uh, I want to tell you a little story and then maybe ask you if you have visited and what your experience has been. Mm-hmm. I want to say back in 2008, uh, my parents, uh, both of my sisters at the time were married and had three kids. My wife and I did not have children yet. And my parents wanted to take us all to Disney World for the summer, uh, in the summertime in, in Orlando. And um, we don't normally fly, uh, we usually fly Southwest, but we, we flew Delta uh, for whatever reason. My dad was, dad was paying for it. And um, we got to the airport and we realized that the flight had not taken off, but we, we had gotten there too late to make the flight. And I, at that time, was really going through, um, really trying hard to, to uh, embrace some Eastern philosophy and, and not get mad at things and not just kind of be calm. And so the first thing I said was, well, I got a good book. And you've never met my wife, but I can tell you right now, that was the, very much the wrong thing to say to her because she was not happy about that. It was my fault we got to the airport late. There were a couple of different options. We could have waited till the next day or they were going to put us on a flight that was going to leave a little bit later and would give us a six-hour layover in Salt Lake City. Right. And so we decided to, to take the layover. And my wife, you know, we both kind of agreed, you know, when life gives you lemons, try to make lemonade. She said, I bet we can find a, a, a city bus or a cab and, and go visit, go see the Temple Square because we know it's something that, um, you know, is, is probably worth visiting. And um, so we get to the airport and I find a police officer and I explained our situation, and he said, "Oh, well, there, the church has a kiosk. Of, of course, I, I should have. I should not have been surprised, right?" Um, so, and there was a bus, and it took us, and we spent an afternoon. Um, and I'm sure now I've been to. I spent a week in South Jordan a couple of years ago for work uh, training. But for all practical purposes, I think I saw all the must-see touristy stuff in Salt Lake City in one afternoon without having to actually try to travel there. And uh, it was really neat. It was a very interesting. We had lunch at the, there's that building right next to the temple that, yeah. you know, on, on the roof, they've got the nice cafeteria, nice restaurant there. And um, apparently Thursdays are the days for weddings because we saw a bunch of 19-year-olds tying the knot uh, or taking pictures afterwards. And, of course, the world-famous landscaping. Uh, have you been to the Temple Square? Yeah, once in 2019. Okay. Well, and what was the occasion? Uh, general conference, so twice a year. Um, all the leaders of the church, they, they do a worldwide broadcast and pretty much give... Um, sermons, or we call them talks, but yeah, they they spend uh, two days, uh, usually Saturday and Sunday, and we actually had it two weeks ago. It's every April and October, and so we had gone in October of 2019 to go watch the conference live. Well, I um, that's that's it. We've I I I told you 45 minutes, and I've I've really gotten it down. We're 62, 63, 64 episodes in, and. I've gotten everything in that I wanted to get in, and I've heard everything that I was hoping to, to hear from you, and we're at 47 and a half minutes. I'm glad. Um, and just come to think of it, you're not the first member of your church. I've had uh, city manager Ifo Peely uh, oh, in yeah. here uh, last year. I believe it was last year, a year and a half ago, talking about his job. And, of course, being a member of the church, that came up, but it wasn't the focus of what we talked about. I'm really thankful, Martina Nazola, for you coming in. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to my friend Doug Upshaw. Uh, for introducing us. I, I reached out to Doug and a couple other friends I have right. uh, who are members of your church, and uh, it was pretty specific. I, I really wanted to interview somebody 
uh, who was a convert and who also had served as a mission. And Doug came through for me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have uh, enjoyed this interview with Martin Andazola as much as I have. I've learned a lot, uh, and I really, uh, really appreciate his time, and I've, I've enjoyed the last 48 minutes or so. So, Martin, thank you for coming in. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our episode for November, and we will be right back uh, in a month with just another episode. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and this is the Square Peg Podcast, where we interview mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled.